BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome back, everybody. Tom Rose, Gary Bauer with you post-debate Bauer and Rose podcast, Bauer and Rose show right here on Sirius XM, the Patriot Channel 125, the podcast available everywhere. Our email address, Bauer and Rose Radio at gmail.com. We are still, we've got our crack staff still working on hacking into that uh, email system. My Twitter account is Tom Rose Indy, and Gary's Twitter account, which is far more active than mine, I would bet uh, dollars to bagels. Bauer doesn't even know what it is. Uh, it's uh, Gary L. Bauer at Gary L. Bauer at Gary L. Bauer at Gary L. Bauer. <laughs> okay. <at> Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Last night, Thursday, Wednesday night, whatever it was, depending upon when you're listening, the first Republican Keebler Elves debate. That's what they called it prior to the debate. You've got a lot of experience. You ran for president in 1896. And when you stood on that stage, you were in a similar situation in which there were multiple candidates. Uh, I want to get reactions and reflections from you first and foremost about the format, about how Fox News handled it, and I've got some very strong opinions on that, which whether you want them or not, you're going to get at some point. And then I'd like to go through each candidate's performance almost one by one, not giving each equal time, because I'm not sure that Martin Scorsese uh, deserves equal time. I I never knew that Martin Scorsese was the uh, governor of... uh, I don't even know where he's from. Okay, North Dakota. Anyway, go ahead. Talk to me about the format. Talk to me about how you think Fox News did. Was it too infomercially? Was it too self-serving? And then, and then let's get into candidates. Yeah. Uh, well, Tom, not, not surprisingly, anytime I see a presidential debate, I, I have uh, uh, flashbacks and usually, you know, leave the room screaming with my hair on fire. Uh, <laughs> No, I, I actually did pretty well at the debates. I, I have a cherished clip, which will probably be uh, played at my funeral, of some uh, talking head on one of the, the uh, uh, you know liberal stations saying, uh, "You know, I got to be honest about this, John. If uh, I was an alien and I landed uh, in the United States and tuned in the debate, uh, I would have to say this guy named Gary Bauer won the debate. I mean, it was like one of the high points of my campaign." Uh, probably the guy that voted for me in Iowa. I, I don't recall. But at any rate, I don't like the format. The format. I don't like it when you've got this many candidates. I guess it's a necessity that you've got to let them all up there to have a decent chance. Uh, because if they started putting up rules, guys like me would have never been in the debates I was in. But I, I think it's very hard to get serious thoughts in this kind of a format. And I vehemently oppose 
this uh, trend, and they did it again last night. Everybody raise your hand who think that climate, climate change is a, uh, a man-made phenomenon. I, uh, I think that Ron DeSantis, and I'll interrupt you here and, and, and let you proceed. I think Ron DeSantis last night, to his credit, put an end once and for all to that stupid proposition of raise your hands. What are we in the third grade? I'm not raising my, I thought that was a fantastic answer. I thought that was one of DeSantis's finest moments in a debate that I thought he did very well, but go ahead. No, you're, you're absolutely right. That, that needed to be said. And every one of the candidates ought to stick to that. You, you, you know, you, you, I mean, they could have gotten even more edgy about it. Like, well, maybe you can get away with that at a Democrat debate where their knowledge of the issues only gets goes down to the depth of the last left wing neo-Marxist professor they talked to at, at uh, Harvard. But in this party, we actually think issues through. You know, I mean, there, there was so many things you could say other than to have the public. Oh, look, he put his hand up. He put. It, oh, my gosh. Everybody against slavery. Raise your hand. Lincoln, well, I'd like to expound a little bit, you know, um, so that that was sad. Uh, but there, there was something else, Tom, that really bothered me. Uh, they So they opened up with the, the this cultural phenomenon of the uh, rich men north of Richmond, which proved that culture is upstream of politics. But then after that, and I, don't, I didn't think any of the candidates really grabbed that question the way I think Trump would have. But after that, the emphasis for a good bit of the debate was on abortion and climate change, which led me to wonder, did the DNC write the questions for Fox News? I mean, you, how about starting with our open border, uh, our, the, the challenge from communist China, the crime, you know, that's just, you know, making our, our cities unlivable. Um, no, climate change and abortion. And then Martha McCallan, who I UFOs, like, don't forget UFOs, Gary, UFOs. Right. Yep, absolutely. And then Martha McCallan, who I think fairly highly of, frames the question uh, like, uh, uh, well, uh, abortion has been a losing issue for the Republican Party uh, recently, da, 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 da. I wish one of the candidates would have said, well, I don't know, Martha, 26 states have uh, passed some sort of restrictions uh, on abortion. And, uh, you know, we can debate whether it's been a losing issue for Republicans, but it's sure been a winning issue for the 90,000 babies that are now alive because of the Republican Party's commitment to the sanctity of life. I think. Uh, go ahead. Go no, 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 no. You sound like you're on a roll here. No. So that 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 bothered me. Um, uh, you, you know, so, some of the other things there were. There were Can you, you explain know, pretty, the UFO thing to me? A Republican presidential debate. The first time declared candidates for the office of the presidency in a time of unprecedented inflation, global insecurity, American credibility down the crapper, a wide open border, a cultural deterioration that threatens the very civic society we live in, a weaponized justice system that seeks to crush dissent and punish members of the opposition party, crime out of control. And there's a question about UFOs. 
I, I know it's it. This is Fox News as the National Enquirer, right? And I think the best answer would have been, uh, look, the only illegal aliens I'm worried about are pouring across the border. That's a great answer. Yeah. Although uh, I do think Christie handled that well. Like, are you kidding me? Or, you know, is this a and I thought, look, I think and whether you're done or not, we're going to do it. Um, and that's we're going to I, I want to break down the candidates into sure. in, into tiers. And you can correct me if you think I've got the tiers wrong, but the top tier, I would obviously say, were DeSantis and uh, Vivek. The middle tier, Nikki Haley, Chris Christie, Mike Pence. And then the bottom tier would be Tim and uh, uh, the Arkansas robot and then uh, Martin Scorsese. Um, I thought, and I, I'll, I'll let you riff on my an initial thoughts, I thought that both DeSantis and Vivek got much better as the debate went on. I thought DeSantis's very first answer about a country in decline was excellent. Then he got a bit sidetracked. Vivek, in the first half of the debate, in my opinion, Gary, sounded like Donald Trump or wanted to sound like Donald Trump. Um, a dose of humility would do that young man very, very well, because I thought he came off as arrogant and smug and too well rehearsed. But as the debate went on, I thought they both improved dramatically. The four minute exchange or three and a half, I can't, I don't know, because of course now Fox won't release the clips. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, there was a, there was a, and I really want to, you were f former uh, undersecretary for education. The four minute back and forth two-thirds into the debate, maybe three-quarters into the debate after we dealt with important issues like UFOs, between DeSantis and Vivek on the cultural zeitgeist and um, education issues, I thought was uh, the four best moments of yeah, political discussion I've ever heard from Republican candidates. That was the high point of the debate. It wasn't it wasn't bloviating. It wasn't talking point. It was a it was a down and dirty a discussion back and forth about the true social ills of this country, about the loss of meaning, the loss of purpose, the atomization, the pitting of group against group. I thought that was I thought that was magnificent. And the only two who really participated effectively were, were DeSantis and Vivek. I, I think that's a good analysis, Tom. I, I, I would agree with that. And of course, you, you know, really, the, that is probably the most important existential issue facing the country. This whole concept about who we are, where does our liberty come from? What is the proper way to educate uh, children for freedom? Um, just, just so many different things, and, and you know, in that sense, we are a more serious party than anybody on the political left in America. The the, the political left is just a series of special interest groups, identity identity groups, people organized on the basis of uh, ethnic background, skin color, today's gender, etc. And all Democratic candidates do is is repeat platitudes 
in, in order to get enough people from each of those identity groups to vote for them. Any sense of a common enterprise, uh, that America is an exceptional nation, that there are certain things that all free men and women should teach their children, none of that is on the radar screen uh, of, uh, uh, you know, I mean, you could summarize it with, if we're the party of make America great again, they're the party of America was never great. And it won't be great until we get rid of half the country so we can govern without them. Right. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, that was a great ex- uh, that was a great exchange. There were other moments like that. Uh, Vivek had some great one liners, some of which you probably were uh, offended by. But I you know, when, when uh, <laughs> what is that supposed to mean? Well, no, I mean, I, I'm just saying that uh, on foreign policy. Right. He uh, sounded a theme much closer to Trump. And when Nikki Haley, who seems to be perpetually trying to convince every single voter that even though she's a woman, she's willing to go to war wherever we have to go to war. And, of course, continue the process of the last 30 years, not actually win the wars, but, you know, spend whatever few dollars we have left. He turned to her and said, maybe you ought to be on the board of a defense contractor, which, of course, she was instead of running. Yeah. Instead of running for president of the United States. Um, Yeah. So he had uh, at another point, he said to a couple of the candidates, Zelensky is your pope. Um, So, yeah, I think I I thought he did very well, but I agree with you on the humility issue. Um, I, I think there were a lot of people there that could be in the cabinet of whichever one of them or Trump ends up being president. I think Mike Pence, um, you know, has gotten a reputation of being sort of soft when there's confrontations. I thought he came out of the block last night uh, strong, uh, you know, went on the attack uh uh, and certainly his defense of the sanctity of life and his embrace of his Christian faith uh, takes a backseat to no one. I think he did himself a lot of good last night. I, I wonder. I mean, I, I agree with you. I think that that Pence came off uh, very strong, very aggressive. I thought there were moments uh, when he kept trying to interrupt where he came off as Mr. Wilson from Dennis the Menace, although he he definitely had very strong moments. They were moments which I think um, accrue to him positively in terms of his of of his commitments. But his strongest moments, <clears throat> pardon me, except from uh, his defense of life, which was, I thought, the best of the evening. His strongest, most passionate moments were moments when he pushed against party sentiment. Ukraine, I thought he was excellent, outstanding, but that's not where the people are. People don't like that. And I thought on the January 6th moment, he would have been better served, Gary, had he let everyone congratulate him or approve of his actions uh, and then let it go and moved on. There was a moment then when he, I thought he said, tried to sound a little too sanctimonious and it, 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 there was an edge of gratuity there. I thought he would have been better served had he let Chris Christie tell the American people how wonderful Mike Pence was and how he saved the country on January 6th, which uh, you and I might think differently about. But I thought uh, he was very aggressive. He was very feisty. 
It's the first time I've ever seen that side of Mike Pence, outside of his relationship with me, uh, in which he acts that way all the time. Um, but he he, uh, he may have turned a corner. I don't know what uh, it will do for him uh, politically. I'll say this. You might disagree. If Joe Biden had one-tenth of the uh, ability to articulate a, a rationale for defense of Ukraine like Mike Pence posed last night, maybe there wouldn't be such tremendous opposition to uh, pouring untold billions into a war that has now become a war of attrition uh, with no end in sight that could go on literally for years in which everything we were promised by left and right that the Russian army was disintegrating, Russia's will to fight would be destroyed, all the predictions that Russia was going to run out of missiles, they didn't have enough computer chips, they were never going to be able to uh, conscript, draft, and deploy 300,000 new uh, conscripts to the battlefield. All that, of course, has none of that is proven true. And someone could have made a point last night and I'm much more pro-Ukraine than you are, as you never fail to point out. <laughs> our, our media isn't even covering the war. It's fighting the war on behalf of Ukraine. Again, understandable, this is a criminal invasion. Ukraine's disinformation campaign is incredibly effective and sophisticated. And I, I, this will shock you. I actually was on Al Arabiya television yesterday Um for some god for sake god knows reason they couldn't get a hold of anybody so they called me about the Pergosian thing and i did a segment and i had a line which i think gary bauer would have been proud of and that is that our media is more supportive of ukraine in its justified war against russian aggression than they've ever been in support of any war we americans have fought since the end of the second world war and none of that came up last night none of that was mentioned or discussed i think vivek you know, through lines out there that were attempted to be, were attempting to be crowd pleasers. But the one positive was that I think both DeSantis and Vivek dramatically improved as the evening went on. Remember, Vivek's only 38 years old. Nikki went after him <clears throat> on a stupid comment that Vivek made about Israel, um, which I thought he, he, he covered for uh, uh, very well. Nobody touched him on Taiwan or China. Um, and I agree. I think Nikki Haley's point is the reason to vote for me sounded much more like identity politics that you'd hear in the other party than our party. Vote for me because my genitalia is different. Vote for me because my color is different. I'm just sick of that. I really am. Vivek didn't play up to that at all. No, no, he didn't. And Nikki Haley ought to realize that nobody is going to beat the Democrat Party on identity politics. I mean, it's absurd. And and if that's what she's leading with or if that's what she thinks, you know, know, Tom, we've talked about this before, that the the Democrats, the left have played the race card and the bigot card so often. And we fight back. But but in the hearts of a lot of the Republican establishment, They've actually internalized it. They think a lot of us are bigots and that the only way we can prove we're not is to run a minority candidate. We had to run the best candidates to make the best arguments and have the best chance of prevailing. And, the, you know, the rest will sort itself out. Uh, I mean, that was a pretty diverse group of people on, this, on the, the, uh, the stage. But, 
when you get up in the, in the morning in America and you're a working class or lower middle class American and you're trying to figure out how to make ends meet, though the people that fit into that category, they come in all shades, both genders, all faiths and no faiths. And they feel left behind, ignored. They don't understand the country they're living in anymore. They don't understand what they're seeing on the news and why nobody will do anything about it. And yes, Tom, they don't understand why we won't secure our borders, why we while we have spent forty six billion dollars trying to secure the borders of Ukraine. Seventy seven billion I was seeing if you were going to correct my figure. I was trying to be conservative <laughs> in my number. But, uh, yeah, no, so it's um, you're, you're absolutely right in, in, in the analysis on that. Uh, to stay on this point, Tom, uh, I mean, clearly Biden has not made the case, but I don't think I don't think Biden can make the case. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the reason is that you've got. 76% of the country that thinks we're moving in the wrong direction. If you ask those people, and clearly there's people on the right and left in that 76%, some of them will give answers that we don't like because we don't want that at all, right? Mm-hmm. But if you ask them, tell me the top three reasons that you think we're moving in the wrong direction. None of them are going to say because we're not spending enough in Ukraine. Did you see the ads last night during the debate? I can't remember the exact sponsor. Republicans for supporting Ukraine or Republicans for warning. Yeah, it's a Bill Crystal operation. Uh, (laughs) Wasn't that an odd play? I I guess it makes sense to place it during the debate, but that's just not where the party is. And I think and I don't want to spend all this time on Ukraine, but. Nobody made the point, and Mike could have made the point um, in the in the time that he was allotted that even if you're supportive of the effort to de- help Ukraine defend itself, we do not have a strategy for this phase of the war. We helped initially, which created a new situation. We prepared to support Ukraine in a war of insurgency because we assumed just like Putin, just like everybody else that he'd roll over Ukraine quickly and establish a puppet government. Well, that has been replaced by this new phase of, of, of incrementalism for which there's no domestic support here. And certainly not in Europe for a direct conflict with Russia. It would wreck the Alliance. Congress would never support it. There's there's no how we define victories, the whole game here. And there was no attempt to try and describe what winning the peace would look like. Right now, we're fighting this war of attrition with two hands tied behind our back. We're not ramping up our production. We aren't destroying his production. Either we've got to ramp up production or we have to destroy his. That's how you win a war of attrition. But. There's no discussion or debate about defining what a one piece looks like. Pence had an opportunity to do that last night. I thought he was very effective and very passionate in the 30,000 foot definition of why it's an important issue for us. But there was no attempt to take Biden on, to take the administration on for the calamitous lack of decision making 
lack of, 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 of policy direction that this war has taken us and most tragically the, the uh, people of Ukraine. Uh, Tom, if, if we're going to... Am I beginning to sound a little, a little bit more like Bauer on Ukraine? A, a little bit. All right. Yes. All right, all right. Uh, That's but, progress. That's progress. But, but I'm staying ahead of you. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tom, we, we are... If, if we were any other country, we would have to declare bankruptcy. But because we can print money when we need it, we are able to continue the disastrous policies that we are pursuing. The 76 billion we have spent in Ukraine was money we either spent or literally by selling treasury bonds buy, loan or borrow from places like communist China. This is insanity. This is this is beyond insanity. You said we need to ramp up our production. That's the problem, Tom. We can't ramp up our production. That is how badly the foreign policy establishment and the economic establishment of this country has laid us low. The mad rush for more and more money for fewer and fewer people has caused this country to be in the position where we cannot ramp up production. There are no factories to ramp up. There are no trained machine tool workers to work the factories. We need to save every every aircraft, every submarine for the war all around the horizon coming at us with communist China. And instead, they are sitting there licking their chops, flexing their muscles while we are expending ourselves on a battlefield in Ukraine. It is the most insane foreign policy imaginable. And Tom, I'm telling you, if what comes across in the presidential campaign is that the big problem we have with Biden is that he's not doing enough in Ukraine. Welcome to Biden's second term. Well, you know, even Donald Trump, and I didn't watch the Tucker interview. I, I will hopefully later today if I have the time. But even Donald Trump says we've got to make one of two choices. We either give Zelensky more or we give Putin some impetus for at least an armistice, if not a ceasefire. Tell me about DeSantis. What were your thoughts? I thought he had a very strong night. I thought he started off very, his opening statement was terrific. Then he kind of plateaued a bit. And after the second or third break, I can't remember which, I thought he really shined. I, I thought he looked excellent. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, he's a good guy. I, I love what he's done in Florida. I thought he, I thought the debate went fine last night. But, you know, if you were considered the top, well, up until the last three weeks, he would have been in the center uh, by himself, really, with everybody else far behind. And now he found himself in the center with Vivek. Uh, so that's a sign of, of for him what sadly has happened. And I, I think he's now in that political moment. Uh, where you've got to make a souffle rise twice, which chefs know is a very difficult thing to do. Um, you, you know, I've, I think a lot of people felt very early on uh, a Trump um, 
uh, DeSantis ticket would be a wonderful unity ticket, uh, even though there's an electoral college problem with the electors from Florida when you do that. Um, but I, I think he did himself a lot of good last night. But something's not working on the ground. You know, it's uh, and, and now Trump. Well, this, well I was going to say that right? I was going to say the something that's not working on the ground is Donald Trump for Ron DeSantis. Well, that's right. True. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and that brings me, Tom, to what I think is the most disturbing moment about all of this. Um, two days ago, uh, 10 people, uh, two days ago and some of them yesterday, 10 people were arraigned down in Atlanta, including four people that served as Donald Trump's attorneys at one point or another. Unbelievable. Today, Donald Trump. Uh, will be in Atlanta uh, to have a mugshot taken, to be fingerprinted. Um, and Republicans were on a debate stage taking questions from Fox News about UFOs. Um, this is one of the most critical moments in American history. And I am disappointed. I understand why, but I am disappointed that that not a single candidate chose to make that his theme or her theme of the night. I think if one of them would have said, look, I know not everybody loves Trump. I, I know people are, some people are looking for, you know, another way. That's why we're all running. But ladies and gentlemen, we have to face the moment. This has never happened in America. I thought DeSantis did that. I thought Vivek did that. I mean, granted, it was pushed into the second or third segment because all of the irrelevant stuff was up front. I thought they did well, that. No? Yeah, I mean, they, they certainly uh, addressed it more than anybody else. And maybe I'm demanding too much on this. Uh, but uh, look, I, I, I think I said this earlier in the week. If one of the candidates had said at the very beginning of the debate when they were asked a question, well, I'm going to set, upset the whole debate plan here. Uh, I thought about it in the green room. And, uh, we, you know, I, I would argue we shouldn't even be having this debate. We should have all been on a plane down to Atlanta to be waiting there for Donald Trump to stand with him against these communist fascist tactics being used against him. And if any of us up here think we can throw Trump overboard and then our path to the White House will be so clear and we will have a normal conservative presidency. You're smoking some of that weed that used to be illegal because, Tom, as you know, everything that's being done, if they get away with this and every side is they're going to get away with it. They were they were having a serious roundtable discussion on MSNBC yesterday with a number of high level Democrats saying the next step is going to be to keep him off the ballot. This, the country, this is a coup. This isn't a bunch of middle Americans, you know, with no weapons, uh, you know, either barging into the Capitol or being invited into the Capitol, taking selfies, et cetera. This is a powerful political party that currently has control of the U.S. military and in our big cities and the, of the control of the police departments, has control of the media, the universities, the law schools, the medical schools, you name it. 
And they are on a road to making conservatism, the Republican Party, everything we believe in illegal and punishable by jail are being banished. And we are consenting. We're acting like it's usual. I bet everybody on that stage goes to bed every night and wakes up in the morning praying that when he turns on the TV, they're going to hear a story that something terrible has just happened in Donald Trump. God, I, I hope uh, I hope that's not true. But the point you make, I think, is a profound one. Let's remember that the monopoly party in this country is already the Democrat Party. They control this massive administrative state. They issue all the regulations, the fines, the penalties, the dictates that serve the interests and the ideology of their left-wing party. And they work and are operative whether the party holds the White House or not. Because whether they win or lose elections, they're always the party in power. The government of the United States, in its totality, is now a permanent arm of the Democrat Party. The only possibility to even slow down, let alone stop and or reverse, the only way to do that is with a dramatic disruptor like Donald Trump, or I thought Ron DeSantis was excellent last night, Vivek needs needs seasoning and needs a little more time in the oven, if you will. But the Democrat, <laughs> the Democrat Party wants to expand upon their power to ensure absolute permanent control. They're actively seeking. They openly advocate. They're very unapologetic about diminishing any threat to their rule, whether it requires imprisoning a former president and their leading political opponent. They want to eliminate the filibuster, which would destroy the Senate. They want to pack the Senate. They want to pack the Supreme Court. They want to get rid of the Electoral College. They want to federalize national elections. They want open borders and citizenship and voting rights for illegals. They're openly weaponizing the justice system, empowering the administrative state. They're trying to crush all dissent, starting at the top by imprisoning Donald Trump for life, threatening through, uh, you know, the chilling effect, threatening any other potential conservative Republican that dares to challenge their rule. They unapologetically engage in sabotaging elections. They accuse anybody who calls them on it of being a racist, a white supremacist, a Nazi, an election denier. They want to make permanent what they pulled off successfully in 2020. And unless we have a an absolute powerhouse, a dynamo as the opposition candidate. And I think that's only two people right now. I think it's DeSantis and Trump. They're going to get away with it. We're going to have more no voter ID. We're going to have no uh, uh, signature verification, universal mail-in ballots. Uh, We're going to have the whole thing that happened in 2020 at an even greater level in 2024. Remember in 2016, all the people who accuse us of being quote unquote election deniers after the election, the same people who today say Trump should be disqualified. These were the folks and accusing Trump of false electors or fake. These were the folks who had media campaigns to lobby electors from states that had voted for Donald Trump to change their vote. 
And there's no discussion about their fake electors or their uh, election stealing attempts. And it's, it's just that none of that was brought up last night. I totally agree with you. I will shut up and let you speak for the next 15 seconds uninterrupted. Yeah, no, I, uh, I, I agree completely, obviously, Tom. And I'll take the 15 seconds to, to just sit back here and do one of those <laughs> just incredibly effective outs that you do during one of our breaks uh, before a big hook comes in here and takes both of us off our phones. You are listening to the Bauer, and I'm, I'm actually on my professional equipment. Don't drag me into your holiday-making inability to function as a 21st century human being in the technological age. You are listening to the Bauer and Rose Show right here on Sirius XM, the Patriot Channel 125, and justthenews.com, wherever you get your podcasts. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome back, everybody. Gary Bauer, Tom Rose, the Bauer and Rose podcast, Bauer and Rose show. You can find us. uh, We're hosted by justthenews.com, but wherever you get your podcasts, as well as our good friends at Sirius XM, the Patriot Channel 125. Let's get back to to uh, uh, we've talked a lot about DeSantis, a lot about Vivek, uh, Nikki, a little bit. Uh, Chris Christie, I'll tell you what surprised me last night about Chris Christie, none of which changes my mind that he's a complete He's kamikaze Christie. He's in for one reason. But his whole the whole purpose of his campaign is to denigrate, destroy, delegitimize Donald Trump. He didn't really go after Donald Trump last night. He was busy going after everybody else. I I know. I I mean, and I I have to admit, I I underestimated him. I you know, they did these multiple breaks. And I I don't know if that was just so people could uh, use the John or whatever, but I, I assumed that during the breaks he would catch a snack. Uh, but uh, I, I didn't see him come in. Chewing although, anything, although Brett so. Bear might have beat him to the buffet. Did you see Brett Bear? I mean, mean Br- at, at how much weight he's gained? Oh my God. I mean, I, Chris Christie has got a competitor. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I tell you, Tom, I, the, for Chris Christie to stand or Yeah. Or in, and say, you know, I was elected governor in a in a blue state, and he, he left office with a sixteen percent approval rating. And the guy didn't accomplish anything of consequence in New Jersey. And of course, his whole base abandoned him when he thought it was a really great idea to walk arm in arm with Barack Obama on the beach when he was trying to suck up to Obama to get some money for New Jersey. And the the idea that this guy is somebody that the party should rally around or he's got the secret to winning in states that are Democrat, uh, it's insane. And he already signaled that on the cultural issues, uh, you know, he's AWOL. uh, He doesn't believe in I'm not a cultural warrior type of guy, whatever the rhetoric is. Um, he, He took an early shot at Vivek, something about. 
you know, you for a guy that looks like the chat AI or something. Yeah, the chat GPT bot like. or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. Well, Although, was you know, shot. Vivek, I thought to his credit, first of all, I thought he was, by and large, I mean, you've got to remember this guy's 38 years old. Uh, he's from Cincinnati, so we're going to have to give him a couple of demerits there. Um, <laughs> you know, he almost ran for that Senate seat now that uh, uh, JD's that hillbilly, got. Yeah, he'll be hillbilly elegy. Uh, JD Vance has got. Well, he and let me defend uh, Vivek here on a parochial issue that's important to me and important to you, and that's Israel. Early in the week. Um, this guy's new. He's fresh. He's green. He makes mistakes. He says things um, that are not totally thought through. He made a comment that uh, was interpreted by many as being anti-Israel. I'm not sure I agree with that. I think it was not anti-Israel. It was just a-Israel, meaning he hadn't really thought about it. He said, our objective should be, and this is a paraphrase, not a direct quote, our objective should be to get Israel to stand on its own two feet. I'll, I'll be honest, when, the first time I heard that, the hair on my back went up. Because if there's one country on this planet that has done more than any other to stand on its own two feet, uh, it's been the state of Israel, which has contributed on a proportionate basis more to humanity and, and uh, uh, innovation and invention uh, than any country on earth. They've won 11 Nobel Prizes in the last 15 years. It's an extraordinary accomplishment. I thought last night when Nikki Haley went after him, he was prepared and she was not. Did you notice yeah. that? He yes. came yes. he came back immediately and said that that isn't what I meant, or he didn't say that. I mean, humility again, mm-hmm. I would encourage him or to Or you're misinterpreting right, what right. I said or something like that. Right. Yeah. What he meant was they need to be stronger. We need to help them help us. Uh and Nikki uh attacked him on that and I thought his answer was excellent. I, I agree. And you know how pro-Israel I am. I mean, I'll, I'll take a backseat to no one on that issue. I'm pro-Israel because being pro-Israel is being pro-America. Yeah. They always say, you know, if something happened to America, Israel would be in trouble. I argued the other way around. If something <laughs> bad happened to Israel, America would be in trouble. But I don't like and I know I know a lot of pro-Israel people don't like this, that uh, because the United States looms so large in the Israeli mind, a bad administration like the Biden-Harris administration, which undermines Israel, uh, limits them. It, it worries them. It makes them, I think, in some cases, hold back on doing things that they need to do. And uh, and so in that sense, I, I do want Israel to, to feel stronger and stronger so they can survive without kowtowing uh, to the increasingly anti-Israel Democrat Party establishment. I thought that's incredibly well said, very well said. I wish I had been smart enough to think of it. Can I steal that from you? You you can. You can. My, my rates are reasonable. I well, I mean, uh, uh, I, uh, Bergdorf Goodman, uh, Martin, I kept Looking at him and seeing Martin Scorsese, I it was. It you was, know what happened to him? He, he the day before. Yeah, he was in a ski accident or something. Stranded. Yeah. Oh, and he he walked in on crutches, uh, and they thought he wasn't going to be able to make it because of the pain. But he he went through the entire debate standing up, which must have been uh, 
you know, a, a, a big challenge. Right. Right, right. I yeah. thought I thought his energy lines uh, were good. His, I mean, that was his issue was energy independence. All the others gave lip service to it, but he walked in there, and that was the issue he was going to push. And I thought every question he was asked, all three of them, over the course of two hours, he um, used the Gary Bauer approach of answering whatever question you're asked. Briefly. Yeah, and the way you want to. Yes. Right? Exactly. Um, Absolutely. Now, I, I guess we have to mention him because he was on the stage. Uh, Asa Hutchinson. Um, uh, Chris Christie yeah. was booed far more vociferously than Asa, but why was he even there? Why is he running? Uh, I think it's another one of these guys, uh, Tom, that, that thinks it's Donald Trump that has made our politics uh, so – mercurial, unhinged, off the rails, etc., because they don't understand that it is how off the rails we are and how off the rails the Democrat Party is that created Donald Trump, that made this unlikely Manhattan billionaire uh, be able to become a spokesman for working class middle America. Who would have ever thought that? But there's so many of these guys, and I, I think it may be more than half of the Republican senators who desperately want to get back to Ike versus Stevenson. You know, we're like, oh, we're all buddies here. Let's get back to that bipartisan foreign policy that's really done so well. And, uh, you know, we got to get back to trading with everybody because if you got a McDonald's, you never go to war. The two countries that have McDonald's never go to war because trade, you know, changes everything. It's, you know, we're world citizens at the end of the day, oh, all that crap. Uh, we're not going back to that. The only way we'll go back to that is if the Democrat Party completely smashes us, has all of us in prison, has our leaders decapitated, figuratively speaking, and we just go on half the country and try to eke out the best existence we can. The, the, the other side is neo-Marxist, nihilists. Uh, they, they, they call us Nazis. They are the Nazis. They are the communists. They're at war with the Constitution. What they're doing right now, there ought to be millions of people in the streets protesting. If a Republican administration was doing this to their likely Democrat opponent and that opponent's lawyers and many of the people associated with him, Tom, our cities would be on fire. There was a moment last night when I thought, and will not be able to prove it because if he were smart, he would deny it, when I thought that Vivek Ramaswamy might be a Gary Bauer fan. Our friend, former vice president, was talking about Morning in America, and Vivek interrupts him and says, I don't agree. It's not Morning in America. Look at your watch. We are a nation in decline. Our culture is collapsing. The notion that vote for me and all will be well and we'll get back to, you know, Dwight Eisenhower, uh, feel good 1950s America. It's pie in the sky nonsense. It's a different country with a different demographic makeup. 
we're, we're driven by identity politics. We're taught to abhor our past. Every institution is controlled by the left. I thought, I thought that was an excellent answer on the part of Vivek. And, and when Mike tried to interject, which I thought he did a little too often, again, I, you know, it, it, Mm -hmm. it, it's, it, I don't think it served him well. Um, Vivek came back and DeSantis was backing up Vivek that this is not 1956. Yeah. I I mean, uh, I, I actually thought of this at 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 that time, Tom, that the way Vivek said that made me wonder whether somebody had put him indirectly on the end of day list because I, I've been using this theme for a number of years now of what time is it? I've said this to audiences at the beginning of speeches and people look at each other like, what is this? This guy's going off the rail. Does he not know what to look at his watch? Why is he asking us? And what I'm getting at is exactly what you described. I mean, what is the moment? If you don't know the moment of the time you're living in, of the nation you're living in, you can't possibly come up with the answers that the nation is looking for. And those people who think, uh, you know, I I thought McConnell was guilty of this the other day in in a different sort of way when he was asked about impeaching uh, Biden and he answered, no, I I hope we don't do that. Uh, Doing impeachment so lightly is bad for the country. Well, yes, it is, but they try to do it to every Republican president. So what you're really saying, what McConnell's really saying is, um, I'm so desperate for the 1950s. I want my party to go back to that, even if the other party won't. And And the answer, the answer to that is so obvious. When you're punched in the face, the answer is not to say there's too much punching in the face. You punch back to stop the punching. Impeachment has been abused. That's why we need to impeach for real reasons. And if one tenth of these allegations are true, we would have more justification to impeach Joe Biden than any president in history. These charges, these allegations, far more serious than Watergate, far more serious than Bill Clinton, not to mention the two utter fraudulent uh, impeachments of uh, of uh, Donald Trump. The Hill this morning, uh, the morning after the debate, I don't know whether this will give you some kind of indication of a counter barometer or not, but they've got a winner and loser of the first GOP debate. Of course, the winner, according to the Hill, was Chris Christie. Uh, in second yeah, in second place, Mike Pence. In third place, the Fox News moderators. Now, I'll say this about the Fox News moderators. Obviously, it's not easy. You got eight candidates up there. You're trying to control it. But uh, hearkening back to what you had said earlier, I don't think they lived up to the moment at all. I really, no. I really don't. No, I, I don't either. And I think. I, I think, you know, Trump is inside the heads of so many people in American politics. He used to joke about he was inside Hillary's head. You know, the, she gets up in the morning and she just can't stop thinking about Donald Trump. I, I think the whole way that Trump um, stuck to his, you know, stuck, stayed with his position that he wasn't going to debate. They were so certain all the way up until about a week ago, they get, you know, at the end of the day, 
Trump's not going to be able to sit there and watch people taking shots at him. And he's in, the, you know, he's at uh, his golf course and he can't get back. He, he'll be there. He'll be here. Brett, Brett Baer apparently called him four separate times that tried to talk him into coming to the debate. I think they probably went into last night thinking to themselves, Tucker Carlson and Donald Trump are going to have a more heavily watched 45 minutes than the vaunted uh, Fox News will have in this first uh, televised national debate of this cycle. And that had to be bothering them. But I, you know, they've done this in the past, Tom, where they sound like the Democrat totally, debate monitor. Totally, totally. The setup pieces, the Richmond, north of Richmond, whatever that seemed kind of hokey. And then the very first and only audience question what are you yeah. going to do to prove to me that you are going to fight global warming? That was their first. Uh, <laughs> I just I mean, seriously, what the heck? And, you know, if you by the way, if you uh, watch the no mention people, of the Maui fire, by the way, none all no. night. I don't think was there. I don't I don't think so either. Uh, if you watch the weather people on Fox, Tom, they're all in to the way weather has been politicized. Every weather event is unlike a weather event ever before seen in the history of the world. Uh, and, and, you know, and they're set up questionless. Like, the ocean is 101 degrees. The, mm-hmm. You know, this happened there. A tropical storm hit Los Angeles. It, Los Angeles got Who wrote those questions? Where does that come from? It's Fox News. Does that come from upstairs? Why would the very first audience oriented question audience member question be written as though it was uh something from your friend joe kernan or msnbc where, where would that come from are they that yeah, out of- i i think it's coming from the murdoch family tom i mean look the, the murdoch family has almost destroyed the tory party party in england uh they, they've made them soft on all the social issues they've made them soft on the immigration issues that they're constantly promoting these bad ideas and uh, they're very influential. They, they, you know, Fox is very smart on a lot of their platforms. They, they throw in a lot of sort of soft Christianity, which keeps a group, big part of the, the Fox viewership in line and watching. But then what they're serving up politically more and more is almost indistinguishable from Republican establishment stuff, which has been terrible. The party has been presiding uh, when, when the Democrats are in. It, it's barely able to stop the Democrats at all. When we're in, uh, you know, we, we basically just nibble around at the edges right. until the next uh you know, the next avalanche of socialist policies come in. That's right. I mean, we now live in a country where it's heads we win, tails you lose. Yeah. Um, as as we wrap up, I guess my final thought would be um, that Ron DeSantis and Vivek were really the only debaters last night who understood where the base was. They had different approaches to try to reach the base, but – I thought they were <clears throat> runaway winners. I, I don't know what your final observations are. Yeah, I I, I think that's accurate. I, um, I and I agree with you. Um, 
I, I didn't understand why Pence felt that he just couldn't take some of the praise about the decision he made. Totally agree. Like totally he agree. He should have. Yeah. That's a when everyone up there was saying he did the right thing, he should have just stepped back instead of coming forward. And I thought it was a bit too sanctimonious. He should have just let the praise uh, accrue to his benefit and then let it go. I thought that was not a not a great moment. But what well, one other uh, observation I would make, Tom, is we're heading out here. I, I, I don't think they realize it, but I, I really think that the, a potential loser last night was the Republican Party in this sense. If the left destroys Donald Trump, and, and I mean that literally, I mean, God forbid that the man have a stroke because of the pressure he's under. Uh, they, they literally want him to die in jail. Uh, if if that's where all this ends, a, a big part of the Republican Party will abandon the Republican Party, may may in fact abandon uh, politics altogether, may just go off in their separate ways and try to preserve the lives of themselves and their families. This, this is an existential moment for the country and for the Republican Party, the sneaking suspicion of a lot of grassroots Republicans. And I'm, I'm in a Republican area right now uh, of Maryland. And I, it comes up ju- just in side conversations with people I bump into on the streets. They're ready to throw in the towel on anything Republican because they don't see a defense of the man that every one of these people in this community, there were, there were Trump signs all over here, both times he ran. These are good, successful people. They, they love him. And they're ready to give up on everything. They can't believe everybody's conducting business as usual. So if something terrible happens and anybody thinks that the folks we saw on that stage are secretly gleeful, that now the road has been cleared for them, they're in for a sorry reawakening. Because if lightning does strike and they do manage to make it, they'll be the next that the Democrats pursue an attempt to put in prison. Well, we are out of time, but I thought this was a great uh, debate recap. Lots yeah, of other issues. I did too. And Lots you, of you other issues. It out. Right. You started it out well. well I thank that. you. Thank you. That's, uh, I think that's the first compliment I've ever heard. Oh, come on. Tom, I, I, no, you're right. There was that. one once in 2012, I think. Yeah, no. The, I, oh, yeah, no, you may be right. I, usually <laughs> when I compliment you, I'm doing it to Carol. And you're not <laughs> Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you next week. God bless everybody.